Matt Lautner coming to you live on a Friday night, April 7th, coming to you from Julesburg, Colorado. Uh, went through the Blind Badger Ranch in northeastern Colorado this morning. Encourage anyone that's interested in breeding to the Blind Badger Bulls. We got Mafia Max and main attraction to give my office a call. They've been extremely popular. 515-391-9540. Uh, the good Lord has blessed me this evening because I'm being joined by Don Coover of SEK Genetics in Galesburg, Kansas. Uh, a lot of positive feedback about the educational side of Don's podcast, and he's been uh, grace, gracious enough to uh, join us again this evening. So, Don, what is new at the SEK? What are you working on this week? Oh, actually, this week we're doing a lot of embryo transfer work, and as a result of those earlier podcasts, I've had actually several people, a couple people, three or four actually, call up and ask about setting up resets and suggest I might want to talk about the things we like to look for, what we think people ought to look for in reset cows to kind of enhance their success with embryo transfer. So basically, I guess I'd like to talk about, you know, things you ought to watch for when you're trying to select resets and set them up. Great. So what is the, what are some of the, the parameters or things that you keep in mind as you're selecting resets? Well, I mean, for most people, they're going to work with cows that they own, typically. And... If they're, not, if they're not working with cows that they've owned and have a history behind, frequently they'll go out and buy them. I kind of encourage people not to be going to the local sale barn and picking up cows for resips because typically when people are selling cows at a sale barn, it's not because they're good resips. If they were, they wouldn't be selling them. But if you, if you do have a set of cows that you're contemplating using as resips, I'd encourage people to kind of look at them critically and kind of prioritize uh, some factors that they should be looking for. Um, typically, good resips are cows in primarily, one of the primary considerations, I guess I should say, is body condition scores. You'd like to see those cows like five and a half to six body condition score. Um, a little better than that's not a problem. Much poorer than five and a half, I think. You know, when you've got cows that look like they're thin, maybe struggling to maintain body weight, Sometimes you worry about underlying conditions that give you a problem and or they're not really suited for the environment they're working in. So body condition score is a real, that's kind of a critical thing to watch for. Then I think you want to start looking at cows and making sure they don't have some underlying problem that's giving you issues or might give you issues down the road. So I would really encourage people to, you know, be aware that they need a good vaccination protocol using a good multivalent vaccine that's going to cover things like IBR, BBD, PI3, BRSD, Lepto, Vibrio. Um, not a bad idea to vaccinate them for uh, prosthetic diseases. Um, and then I would, I would really encourage people to test their recips to make sure they don't have some underlying problem that's not obvious. And persistently infected BBD, if you haven't educated yourself out there, uh, about persistently infected BVD, look it up because it's a real problem. It's not real common. The incidence in cattle when we're testing at the lab that we have set up in our clinic is probably about four-tenths of one percent positive, so only four out of every thousand animals we test. The problem with PIBVD animals is they shed massive amounts of virus, and they are wildly contagious to everybody around them, so they'll wipe out an embryo transfer program. The other problem problem that you'd like to watch for in your uh, recip animals is a parasite called Neospora or Neospora, depending on how you want to say it. 
That's a problem because there's no vaccination for it. There's no wormer that takes care of it. It's really a protozoa or a coccidia, so wormers like benzimidazoles or the white oral wormers or ivermectin or any of the avermectins don't touch it. So neospora cows, cows that are positive for neospora, avoid them like the plague. Both those, those, both testing for both those problems is inexpensive. About four or five bucks for PIBVD and five or six bucks for Neospora. We have a lab that tests thousands and thousands of animals a year for producers, and you should find one and use them. Okay, so besides testing your animals, make sure they're clean of problems. They're kind of middle-aged, not old cows, and I don't recommend virgin heifers for, for recips because they're difficult to work with. They're just small tracks. You want to worry about body condition score, and then you want to worry about things like what you're feeding those cows. They need to be on a good, positive plane of nutrition. They don't need to be gaining a lot of weight, but they certainly don't want to be losing any. If they've got calves on them, they need to be maintaining body condition scores. You don't want to be using cows for recips that are you know, losing weight and having trouble keeping their body condition where it needs to be. You want to be cautious, though I seldom see this problem, you want to be cautious about pounding your cows full of protein. Once in a while, we'll have some guy bring some recips in there, and he's had them on some incredibly high protein rations. Um, even fresh grass in the spring can get real high. You know, the protein level of fresh grass in spring can get real high. You'd like to see cows on a protein ration if they're lactating a calf, not much higher than 10 or 12% protein, um, plenty of energy, and on, on uh, cows that are not lactating, not nursing a calf, you probably don't need more than 6 or 7% protein. And people, if you get higher than, say, 20 to 25% protein, I think you'll tend to see a lot of difficulty accepting pregnancy, you know, establishing pregnancies with embryos and keeping them pregnant. So stay away from real high protein. You want a good mineral program, possibly use Multimin on those cows if nobody's pumped them full of Multimin before. But if you overdose with Multimin, you can kill animals. People don't recognize that, but, but I see it occasionally. Okay, so that's kind of a tall order, but you want an animal that's tested clean, good and healthy, good body condition scores, not too old, not too young. I wouldn't use virgin heifers, and then use, use a rational synchronization protocol, something that you can manage and that works right. You want to be cautious about things like yoni, so I would not use cold dairy cows at all. We see a lot of issues in some herds that use cold dairy cows for recips, and now they have a lot of yoni's problems. So that's a lot of information, but that's kind of what you want to look for. You bet. So um, can you give any other uh, tips for success when it comes to embryo implant, whether that be protocols or anything sure. else? I think you want to, if, you're, if you've got, um, you know, somebody that's helping you, you know, match your recips, especially if you're transferring all at once. You know, you set a bunch of cows up and you're catching heats and then you're transferring embryos. You want to, if you can, have the guy that's doing your transfers try to match the stage of embryo with a heat, with a heat occurrence in your recips. So, for instance, let's say that you're transferring embryos on a Wednesday and cows that were in heat last Wednesday or last Tuesday are going to be seven or eight days along. So you would like to be using, you know, more mature stages of embryos on those pregnant or on those recips that have been in heat 
longer ago. In other words, if they're seven or eight days along and you're transferring conventional embryos, you won't always you want to use stage six or seven embryos because those cows were more in step with those older embryos. Cows that were in heat maybe six and a half or seven days ago or only six days ago, you'd use younger embryos, that is stage fours or stage fives. And, and you won't get dramatically better results, but you will get somewhat better results, maybe a few percentage points better, because your embryos will more nearly match the, the states that your, that your recip is in. Those, things are, those kinds of things can be useful. You want to be pretty careful about managing your recips a couple, you know, say day 16 or 17, which is going to be 9 or 10 days after your transfers. That's the pregnancy recognition period that a cow undergoes. So what you'll find is a cow that's pregnant, either through AI or embryo transfer, day 16 or 17 of their estrus cycle, that cow's body will search itself for a pregnancy. <clears throat> If they detect it, they won't continue to cycle, and they'll maintain that pregnancy. If they don't detect it, then they'll, you know, they'll actually secrete luteolites themselves endogenously, and you know, in their own body, and they'll destroy that corpus luteum and that pregnancy and come into heat again. And so you can avoid that kind of problem by being careful about stress during that 16 to 19 day of the estrus cycle because those animals are more susceptible to stress and losing those pregnancies then. So those are the kinds of, that's when you'd like to have not a lot of social stress. You don't want to be hauling all over the countryside. Don't put a bunch of strange cows together that don't know each other, that sort of thing. Those, that kind of stuff will help you out. Yep. Um, you want to be real cautious about exposing those animals to maybe other disease. I mean, you'd like to keep Oh, what's a good example? You would like to keep your recips away from, let's say, a neighbor that runs a stalker operation. You know, you wouldn't want to share a fence with a stalker operation when you've got a bunch of recips out there trying to stay pregnant because stalker operations are shot full of, you know, BVD. They've got young animals with immature immune systems, and they're much more susceptible to problems like, you know, shedding a bunch of BVD virus or whatever. Yep. Little things like that make a big difference. So I had a buddy by the name of Brandon Snyder out in Ohio call me a day or two ago. Um, it's so wet and cold and miserable in certain points of certain parts of the country. Obviously, in, in Southeast Kansas, it's awfully dry. Yes. But uh, whether it be uh, dust pneumonia or just quick pneumonia in calves, uh, do you have any treatment protocols that you think hit them the fastest and give the give the calf uh, the best chance for a successful outcome? What you're really trying to do is, if you can, avoid the problem. If you can't, then you want to get an antibiotic that tends to work for you. And talking to the local veteran will give you a better feel for, do you want to be using something like Draxon or tetracycline or whatever? And non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, banamine or flunixomeclamide, those will help stabilize tissue in those lungs, and that will give those calves a better chance of, you know, avoiding these catastrophic inflammatory reactions that, this quick pneumonia typically presents itself as. And you can see some calves sometimes that they go from looking pretty good to being better than hell pretty fast this time of the year. We've had a really pleasant spring down here in terms of weather. We're just too dry. And it's getting pretty dusty, but, I mean, we, we badly need a rain. I know that some, I've talked to a couple of clients up in 
western Nebraska and southeast Wyoming, and I mean it's terrible up there. They've got snow. I don't know how deep it is, but it's terrible. So you're trying to. I think they got three foot of snow in a 24-hour period in parts of Wyoming. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, I know. I had a guy tell me that he's not real sure how much snow they've had, but he thinks it's like, you know, like feet, not like two or three feet, like 15 or 20 feet this winter. I just can't conceive of that. We'd like to have the moisture. I don't need 15 foot of snow, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. So uh, anything else new and exciting at the SEK? Oh, we're doing an awfully lot of an awful lot of embryo transfer work, especially IVF work these days. A lot of that, more than I can imagine. We're trying to get cows that we own in there to do that stuff, but we can't keep up with it. I think we picked up, I think we picked up embryos, oocytes, IVF on 19 cows Thursday. What's today? Wednesday, Friday? Yeah, yesterday. 19 different cows, which is that's a lot for us in a day. We do that about every week. It's it's it's. It's really amazing. It's, the cattle business is kind of up and down and all over the place these days. People are, it's nuts. They're selling cold cows around here for a dollar a pound. I never thought I'd live to see that. No kidding. Wow. Yes, a dollar a pound. There's a lot so, of cows getting cold around here, a lot of them. This is a recurring question on some of these podcasts I have with you, and thank you for coming on and sparing some time for us because it, it truly is kind of a, professor feel to it and i think you're so much more enjoyable to listen to than my college professors but <laughs> i got uh, that but i think back that. in your early career um you, could you tell us uh an old story about uh a bull owner or who, who was the most exciting to work with back in the day was it a dean kephart or a phil Lautner, or who who are your favorites 20 or 25 years ago I won't mention it. To be honest with you, I worked with your dad and Dean Kephart and a lot of those guys, and a lot of them, they're a lot of fun. Sometimes uh, quite the personalities, you know, pretty interesting. But you would, some of those, I mean, I won't mention any names because I don't want to get my butt kicked. But having said that, uh, years ago, okay, speaking of Dean Kephart, Dean had a bull called Full Throttle at one time and sold a lot of semen. He had, there was a lot of birth weight associated with that bull, and a lot, if Dean's listening to this, he'll, might know who it is. But anyway, there was a guy that sold a lot of semen, and he and Dean didn't see eye to eye on some stuff, I guess. But anyway, the guy sold a lot of, he sold a lot of calves, supposedly out of full throttle. And I sold a lot of semen to him, and I never saw, I never sold him a straw full throttle. Well, anyway, um, the guy had a club calf sale every year, and one year he sold a bunch of calves, supposedly out of full throttle. And I said something to him about, where do you get that semen? I didn't figure you'd buy it from Dean. He said, well, he, he never had, he'd never really used any full throttle semen. I said, well, that's hard to believe because you sell calves out of him all the time. And he said, yeah, that was the case. He did sell calves out of him all the time. And I said, well, where did you get the calves? And he said, well, he made them up. And I said, what do you mean you make them up? And he said, you know, they're not really full throttle calves. He said, you just said that. And I remember being absolutely shocked. And I mentioned that to several people, and they laughed at me because they said, you know, that's the clubby world. And it, and it was real education to me because I'd never seen that before, never thought about people doing it. At the time, looking back on it, I think it's humorous. I was so shocked by it, I guess. I've got a story to tell you. Uh, Dave Geyer joined me last spring and had a little podcast, and he uh, sold a group of five steers for my papa bear, Phil Lautner, back in the late 90s. And one of the steers won the Illinois State Fair, and one of the steers won uh, the National Western for Chad Day. And both of them got sold as full flushes through Dave Geyer. 
But after they had won the shows, Phil came to Dave and he said, Dave, uh, I don't know what to tell you, but I accidentally called those cats full flushes, but they're really totally tunes. So uh, really? we need to go ahead and call them totally tunes now. And uh, Dave had a funny little interaction that they were worth more as full flushes then, but now they're worth more as totally tunes now that they've won the shows. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it used to be when Myers was real popular, if it was a black cap and it had a white face, it was a Myers. That's, you know, it was a black heifer with a white face, go. it was a Myers, or Blake, a blaze face. Anyway, well, thank but, you very much for joining me yeah. tonight. Uh, if anybody is listening to the podcast, log on to SEKgenetics.com or call Don's office directly for his uh, testing services and any of his other genetic services, as well as uh, to order semen this spring. And if you have uh, suggestions for Don's segments to uh, in the future, this spring as we go forward, I, I'm going to try to get him back on a time or two more and darn sure reach out to me or him about subjects that you would like to hear him cover. So. Thanks, Thank you man. very much, Don. I appreciate you joining me, and we'll be in touch, pal. Okay? You bet. Take care. Good luck. Bye-bye.